All right, so I'm, I'm going to start this message. We're going to be in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you guys are looking to turn to your place in Scripture. Um, this is a bit of a charged topic, the topic that we are venturing into this morning. And I've said this a few times as we've ventured into the spiritual topics, the supernatural topics in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 is that we all come to these topics with, with some baggage. We've put on weight. We've added ideas. We've collected things. We've bumped into things. We've reacted to things. We've liked certain things. We've valued certain things. Or we've never had these experiences and don't know what to do with them. So we're all bringing some of that stuff here. And so, you know, when you pick up the phrase, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you many in this church would have had some history in that phrase that would bring us into a place of, of, of celebrating a, a, an expression, an experiencing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's an interesting contrast to observe what we just observed in this tank. Because right? I hope nobody in here makes this kind of mistake. And I'm trying to clean up some of the mistakes that we make in these categories as we move through this stuff. That you would be saying, we're waiting for a move of the Spirit. We love the topic this morning. And you would have not noticed the move of the Spirit that was in those stories this morning. That's a move of the Spirit. To see the gospel go from one generation to the next. Pick the Bible up and find out when that doesn't happen. That's a move of the Spirit. To, to hear Cody's story and to interact with him, you got to hear the rest of his story. Uh, that's a move of the Spirit. So don't anybody come up and do this after the service. Don't anybody come up and say, I'm so glad we're talking about the Spirit. Don't do that to me. Because you won't like how I respond. It just, all that is is advertising to me is that you have picked up baggage along the way with these subjects and you are outside of the Bible and the way you see these things. That's a move of the Spirit. So the churches up and down streets that are having people come to know Christ and their eyes are being opened and reborn by the Spirit, that's a move of the Spirit. Whether they get our subject matter today or not, that's a move of the Spirit. So we thank God for that. All right. Without anybody raising your hands, although we should be able to raise hands, right? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. You can raise your hands. Um, I, I just want us to be aware you know, have you heard of this topic we're going to talk about today? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, just so that you know, not everybody in this room has. So, there would be some here who would say, hey, hey, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. The, yeah, man, yes, let's talk about this. And, and for you, you've gotten around this subject and it's gotten some elevated importance. And, and it, had, it rightly has elevated importance for many, many reasons. And then for others, they're coming from maybe the other side of the tracks. A lot of questions in this category. Some concerns in this category. This is not a subject they move toward. It's one that they move away from. But yet, you know, hey, they're going to let it be in the Bible and they're going to let it say something, etc. And then there's going to be some people here today who are like, what's the, what's the hubbub? I don't know anything about what you're talking about, this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, hopefully uh, what Paul does for us today is going to be very helpful. 
I'm blaming it on Paul because he's the one bringing it up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, unlike, and this is one of those, those passages where, or, or, or topics that you can blame on the pastor. He's talking about his pet topic, right? He's going to bring up, oh, here we go again, that church bringing this stuff up. Well, the reason why this is coming up, and this is the way we teach through the Bible, is it's the next verse. We just teach through the Bible, which means we don't get to avoid this verse, whether we like what it says or not. It's the next verse. Right, so here's where we are. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we have just been introduced to some manifestations of the Spirit called spiritual gifts. There was nine of them that were listed. That's not an exhaustive list, but there's nine that are listed right here. And then we get to chapter 12, verse 12, and we read this. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we are, as we do every Sunday, eager to receive from these living words preserved by you for us. So Lord, we're not, we're not reading about something that was for somebody else. We're not reading about something that has limited or maybe distant application for others. Lord, we are reading words for us. So Lord, help us this morning. No matter where we're coming from, comfortable with this, uncomfortable with it, uninterested, Lord, help us to have ears to hear what you would have us to receive this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a massively important thing that reading through and studying through this entire letter to the Corinthians is going to afford for us in this moment is we're bringing up the topic of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, famous for spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is going to be famous for addressing some of the manifestations of these gifts. But, but Paul's got, and he's been doing this to us the whole time we've been studying through Corinthians. Paul has been dealing with some, some issues that, that keep popping up among the fellowship of these people who have come together. And he kind of throws out a little little sampling of them, right? Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of the patron system, right? We've learned all this stuff if we've studied these guys' lives. That there are some among them who are afforded greater honor than others because they're related to the right people. They know this person. That's why some of them are claiming certain teachers because that was commonly what they would do. And so within this gathering of believers is, is a prevailing divisiveness. They are naturally divisive. They've got all kinds of reasons Economic reasons, racial reasons, status reasons, to see themselves differently from one another. And then they've got spiritual reasons now. They've got spiritual gifts operating among them. So they can now say, who's got what? Who functions what way? Who's, who's got a higher rank? Who should we be more impressed with? 
So there is this problem that's prevailing in the Corinthian church of, of these varieties of people coming together to be one thing. And this is the great location where we get this illustration, the body of Christ. Right? So Paul introduces some major doctrines, major illustrations that are right here in this section. The body of Christ, we've all heard that term. And he's trying to illustrate something by saying we're, we're all members of the body of Christ. There, there's, there's hands and there's feet and there's eyes and there's ears. And we're all playing these diverse roles. There's uniqueness to us, but there's oneness here. And that's why this phrase comes up in this section. Paul doesn't bring this up Because he wants to elaborate on all the ideas that have been in everybody's experience when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He hadn't come to town saying, listen, I know there's charismatics and non-charismatics. There's people with problems in this category. Some of y'all experienced this, some of you haven't. Can I just clarify once and for all what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is? If that's what you're looking for in this passage, you're not going to find it. That's not what he's going after in this passage. He is trying to address how all this diversity comes into one place and functions together. That's what generates his phrase. Right? So remember, quick review. If we went all the way back into 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul starts to attack this divisive issue. I hear there are divisions among you, brethren. This is how he starts the book. Right? And then this is what he reminds them of in chapter 1, verse 26. He says, consider your calling. What, what is it that makes anybody here today to be a Christian? It's the call of God. Don't think for a second that you're a Christian here today because you're smarter than all the non-Christians. Because you managed to figure this thing out, right? You read your Bible and you figured out Jesus is the Christ. You remember when Peter says that? You are the Christ. Jesus whirls around. I mean, what's the shock there, right? He didn't turn around and say, ah, oh, Peter, I knew you were smarter than the rest of them. You remember that moment? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My, my father has been here. He showed you that. That's humbling, isn't it? Right? We're all a bunch of idiots who got shown something. That's why we're Christians. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Right? Those are the things. That's strata right there. That's what they're impressed with in Corinth. God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might Boast in the presence of God. Isn't it weird that how much weird boasting has come into this charismatic, non-charismatic conversation? Isn't that weird? <laughs> Just doesn't belong there. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast 
in the Lord. So Paul's already trying to have a conversation with people who sink, they're seeking distinctions and honor and roles and influence. And Paul's trying to pull them into this humble place of, I know you're distinct, but you're all a part of one thing equally. Same footing, same status, right? He's going to say something similar to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Very similar concept. Verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, they were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses. All right, do you see how Paul thinks his way through this? And see that term he just used? Baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So we get to this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul is going to touch on the diversity of gifts. And the second he brings up diversity of gifts, it's like he needs to bring them back to, but wait, 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 before you go getting impressed with yourselves... Uh, we need all the gifts. And when, by the way, and some of the ones that you think are less important, we're going to discover that when they get used among us, they actually are of greater importance than we gave them credit for. Right? He, he, he lands this section, verse 25, chapter 12. says, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. All right, so you hear his concern about division here. And then he brings this wording in chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, they are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves free. All were made to drink of one spirit. All right, so here's my question. What does this passage that makes use of a popular and important phrase, what is it trying to teach us? Is Paul trying to provide commentary on the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit as we see it used elsewhere in the New Testament? And I would conclude, no, he is not. He is going to use this phrase once and only once. Paul is not going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit elsewhere. And he brings it up in order to communicate something else. He's not going to unpack it. He's not going to explain the history of it. He's not going to explain how it's used elsewhere. So when we see it here, and you and I read it, we bring all of our baggage. It's the, it's the phrase that, that makes us unpack. Oh, oh. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. There it is. Let me, get my, let me get my bag out and unpack all my thoughts that have to do with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we do in this verse right here. And we should do something here with the phrase, but we should at least first notice its context. There's a reason why this is being brought up right here. And it's trying to communicate something in particular right here. And it's going to be brought up many other places in Scripture. And that's what I want us to do today is to see and learn 
from the ways scripture brings up this phrase here and then elsewhere. And, and, and just for the sake of how we think these things through, I, I did in your outline, I put this, this question as we try to figure out what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, if I were to ask a similar question and I were to say, what is salvation? You would give me a variety of answers. Unless I told you to answer everything the Bible says about salvation. If I just said, what is salvation? Uh, well, there's an aspect a dimension of salvation that we would explain by explaining the doctrine of justification, right? For many people, that's where they'll go with salvation. So salvation is the act by which God makes us right with him. And we unpack words like under that, like forgiveness, that we are forgiven of our sins in salvation, that we are saved from the wrath of God. If you didn't know that, you, you need to know the God of the Bible is a particular type of entity. And he doesn't get along with sin. There's something about him that reacts to sin with something the Bible describes as wrathful punishment. So none of us get to reinvent God and say, well, well, that's not how I feel about God. Well, you know, it doesn't really matter. If I've never met you, it doesn't matter how I describe you, does it? You are who you are. And this God in the Bible he is going to respond to sin with wrath. The only question is, where will that wrath be poured out? Will it be on his son or will it be on individuals? Well, that might be how you explain salvation. But you might ask somebody else and they might say, oh, salvation is that moment when the void of our lives, the emptiness that occurred because we lost the life of God back in the Garden of Eden. It's that moment when God returns to us and he breathes his life and we become born again by the Holy Spirit. So salvation is about being born again by the Spirit. Right? Those are those are good descriptions, right? That's an accurate description. Both of those are accurate descriptions, but they're not identical descriptions of salvation. You might you might cite salvation as having to do with your identity. That once we were in Adam and all that made up the race of Adam came to us. But when God saved us, he put us in Christ. Now all that makes up Christ has come to us. Are you noticing that those are three different descriptions of one word, salvation, that we're all cool with. We see that in the Bible. So when we pick up the word baptism in the Holy Spirit, might it mean a little bit more than just one thing? Well, my contention is, yes, it does. And if we'll stare at two different people presenting it, I think we'll see the nuances that were intended to see both of these. Right? So the first one is, is Paul's picking this phrase up. And I'm going to say Paul features something. He's not, a, he's not choosing to counteract something. He's just featuring something. He features inclusion. That's what the Corinthians drove him to. And that's how he presents the baptism in the Spirit as a means of including all believers into one place. So read there in your outline, I put, Paul was describing the inclusive act of God, making all believers, regardless of their diverse backgrounds, to be placed into one group. Thus, his use of baptized in the Holy Spirit was referring to the moment we are born again and become a child of God and therefore partakers of the common life shared by all believers. Which is why this passage sits in the section from which we get the body of Christ illustration with all its diverse body part members. 
Right? So I know for some, coming to this topic, it's an isolated event that has some definition unto itself, and we'll see why that gets generated from Scripture. But there is a dimension to the, the Spirit's activity that is involved in initiating us into our connection with God, and therefore our connection with each other. And, and that has to occur for you to actually call yourself a Christian. Being a Christian is not a matter of merely philosophically agreeing with some principles that we might have extracted from the Bible. Well, yeah, I kind of agree. If you have not been born again by the Spirit, you are not a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is not a message on how to be born again. But I just want to point it out that if you are asking that question... Right, if, if you have been born of the Spirit, I, I, you know, how many, I don't know how many of you guys had roommates when you were in college or at some point in your life you had a roommate. How many of you guys ever had a roommate without knowing you had a roommate? Anybody? It's like, ah, I think I got a roommate. No, no, they, you know, they do stuff. They rearrange the furniture, they leave the lights on, they make messes, they say stuff to you. Well, can you imagine if God becomes your roommate? By the Holy Spirit. Do you think he might notice he's there? And so if you're really seriously. If you're sitting here and you're going. I I don't know if God's my roommate or not. Well we need to have a conversation. Because there's a way for you to know. And experience being born again. Right. So you can't be a Christian. Without the Holy Spirit becoming your roommate. And doing an internal regenerative work. Right, so 1 Corinthians 12, in one spirit we were all baptized, all of us, every Christian was baptized into one body. All were made to drink of one spirit. So we should never have a Christianity that says, well, there's, those, there's that group over there that's, you know, the Pentecostal charismatic dimension, you know, they've got the spirit. What would these people over here get? Well, I don't know what they get, but they don't have the spirit. Okay, that, that's not in the Bible. Right, And nobody on either side of the fence should be okay with that. Because our first loyalty is to teach what the Bible says. Not what my personal preference is. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Right? This is, this, again, this is Paul painting images of this usage. He says, you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul saw every Christian as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He knew nothing of the idea that you could be a Christian without being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's not just forgiven. He's not just justified. He's not just the books of heaven have put a check mark in him that he's accepted. Although that is all true. He is a new creation. He's not the same person that he once was. Something happened to him. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. So when Paul speaks to an audience, he says, hey, you know what we all have in common? You know what we're all together in? We're all in the same spirit put in the same body by God. We all equally share that. All right? So that's that's Paul. But Luke features something else. Luke features empowerment when he brings up this subject. 
Paul features inclusion. Luke features empowerment. I wrote in your outline there, Luke was describing the outpouring and empowering experience that we receive when the Holy Spirit takes up his ministry in the New Testament Christian. Luke was not focused on all-inclusive diversity like Paul was. Luke's not writing trying to heal these divisions in each setting that he's writing to. If anything, Luke was thinking about how the Spirit is experienced in the New Covenant way versus in the Old Covenant way. Where Paul was thinking about diverse inclusion, Luke was thinking about power for ministry. All right, so the context of each of these writers, right? Now, Luke, remember, Luke is the one who's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He is the largest writer in the New Testament. Paul's the most notable writer in the New Testament. But, but we're going to get a chunk, a big section of the New Testament from Luke's writing. And he's going to be inspired. I think when you go to read scripture, you want to be faithful to how God chose to inspire these things. So what's Luke writing about when he brings up this subject? All right, a lot of verses here. My intention is to overwhelm you. I'm doing that on purpose so that nobody is walking away going, yeah, well, what's the rest of the Bible say? Well, if you want to go further, I'll give you more of these verses. But for the sake of keeping it brief, here's enough. All right, so here's Luke. Here's a quick running Engagement of Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Luke is inspired to write, John answered them all, saying, This is John the Baptist, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so when Luke picks this phrase up, points to Christ and say there is this coming thing that he is going to do to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Then we go all the way to the end of, of Luke chapter 24, the very end of Luke's gospel. And he says, Jesus, recording what Jesus said to the disciples, behold, I am sending the promise of my father Upon you. I I think these are significant words. Pay attention to them. Upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So when Luke brings up this event that he's going to explain just here in the first part of Acts. That this is that baptism in the spirit. Wait in Jerusalem until this comes upon you. And until you are clothed in, that's his word choices, right? Upon you, the word in the Greek means to superimpose something as a relation of distribution over or upon. So I'm going to superimpose the spirit on you in this event is the word choice that Luke brings. Then he uses the word clothe. To clothe means to, to sink in. To go in or under, to put on, to enter, right? So there is this sense that we're going to be enveloped in the spirit. This spirit baptism is like an enveloping in the spirit. The same way in which you and I put clothing on us and it attaches itself to us, becomes part of us. That's the description, right? From Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, right? Luke's still same writer, same inspiration, Still explaining what is this event. 
Acts chapter 1 verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is the event that Jesus has been pointing to through Luke. This baptism in the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, so when you start listening to Luke, Luke, why are you bringing this up? Why are you telling us about this baptism in the Spirit? Why have you reserved so much emphasis on this? And what, is the, what are these words associated with? Well, they're associated with the receiving of power. With something that's going to come upon you. So we've got another phrase now. This thing's going to be upon you. Now it's going to come upon you. All this is the Holy Spirit. His baptism. So in Acts chapter 2, this event actually comes. And here's what happens. When the day of Pentecost, verse 1, arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. All right, now for Luke, and I'm not going to unpack this. because There's just so much great stuff here. This baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right? You remember in the Old Testament when God would uniquely show up among his people, he'd manifest his presence by fire. Right? Remember the top of Mount Sinai was this massive orange glow of fire that had come. When the Spirit of God would reside over the tabernacle, there was this fire and smoke that would be manifest in that setting. So Luke picks something up here. And this is so important. If you don't, if you don't like the vocabulary of what, what you've been around historically, one, blame your history, not the Bible. But, but beware of this. Luke is concerned to make sure that Christians get the New Testament version of being a follower of God. Versus the Old Testament way. Does that concern you? That concerns me. Because I think there's a lot of people who come to faith in Christ and try and follow God like an Old Testament saint. Not aware significantly of the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. Manifesting himself through them. That they've come to believe the right information, but they live life in a way that looks like you're an Old Testament saint. You have the right God and you even believe the right thing about he accepts you based on the sacrifice of another. You're innocent now and then you've been forgiven and the blood and all. You get all that stuff right. And then you just kind of walk with this God like he's way over there. And maybe he shows up in church. How many of y'all thought you came to the house of God this morning? Right? When we learn this stuff, like God's over there. No, God's right here. Luke is so concerned to make sure you're not recreating the wrong patterns. That fire, it's the manifesting of God's presence. And instead of being over a tabernacle that everybody came from miles to visit, it's now split off and it's sitting on each person trying to tell each one of them, you, and Paul's going to bring this up in Corinthians, you are now the temple of God where he manifests himself. 
So while this is happening, John baptized with water. You'll receive, where am I? I'm in mean, Acts chapter 2, sorry. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, now we have Luke who's picked up this phrase, baptism in the Spirit, and he keeps adding insight into it. The baptism in the Spirit is, is the Spirit coming upon you. The baptism in the Spirit is the Spirit filling you now. So now we have uh, Luke engaging these phrases to give us an understanding of what's happening here. So there's, there is a right association of the baptism in the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. Luke does that. Maybe some others have done that, but Luke does that. Graham Twelfth Tree in his book, People of the Spirit, says for Luke, being filled with the Holy Spirit would have meant to be overcome, overwhelmed, or consumed by God's Spirit in a way that dominated the feelings or emotions or controlled the activity of the person. Quite often, according to Luke, the result was inspired speaking of some kind but also included performing miracles. So in this exchange where the Spirit has come upon and rushed upon and made himself evident, things would get expressed in those moments. All right, further with Luke, Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. But this, Luke records Peter saying, is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will Pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So now, Peter's explanation, recorded by Luke, is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is associated with God's pouring out of his spirit. So all these words get a relationship with each other. A proper relationship with each other. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, right, so we moved on in time a little bit here. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, right? So there's an expression from Peter of of preaching that Luke directly connects. Peter did this in association with being filled with the Spirit. Luke's going to do that over and over and over again. When he wants to explain this thing, he shows you stuff that happened in association with being filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 When they had prayed, this is a gathering, a prayer gathering, early church. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now we have a phrase earlier used that's being repeated about the same set of people. So apparently, you can be filled with the Spirit more than once. And continued to speak, which often filling leads to an expression, a word expression often, the word of God, with boldness. And I love how this just fills this in, and I love what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that they did anything other than that. It doesn't say they spoke in tongues. It doesn't say they prophesied. But it does educate us that there was some speaking involved, and there was boldness now. There was this sense that when they were filled with the Spirit, something invaded the attitude of their heart. That they went from being threatened to perhaps being timid to bring it on. Let's go. Now, was that bootstrap, pull yourself up moment? Uh, No, it seems to be the influence of being filled with the Spirit. A courage 
was imparted to them in being filled with the Spirit. I think rightly so when you have Peter go from the denying that he even knew the Lord dude at the end of uh, Jesus' life. Remember that? Um, To the guy who now stands in front of this massive crowd just a few weeks later and declares... You killed the Lord of glory, bunch of idiots. Can you imagine? He's declaring to them, you are all guilty. And this is who he is. And he's doing that with power. What made the difference? I don't think you can argue effectively the resurrection made the difference. Because even after the resurrection, they're still hiding. But when Acts chapter 2 happens, and nobody should be like, oh, well, you know. You Holy Spirit people, this is where you just get weird. I'm not getting weird. The Bible says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Peter. And you're going to go from wimp to courageous when that power comes. It could come in all kinds of manifestations. How have you thought that about your life? That you could go from wimp to powerful, courageous, bold in something God has called you to do. See, this is why I preach this, and this is why I want us to live in this for a moment. Because appropriately so, if you see this the way Luke presents it, it's a resource. It's an enablement. It's help for the next time you face something that you're feeling like, I can't do that. I'm scared to do that. That's just not me. Okay, I get that. Wasn't Peter either, but you will receive power and you will find boldness and courage to do some things you would have never done otherwise. Can I just tell you, I would never have done this with my life, ever. There there was nothing attractive to me about standing in front of an audience. Nothing. It's not like I grew up going, ooh, I can't wait to be the person everybody's looking at. No, I was fine staying as far away from that as possible. But when the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, you you suddenly have a boldness to do things that in the natural you just wouldn't do. I need to know that exists and that kind of power is available to me. And that's what the Bible, and that's what Luke is trying to convince us of here. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So so Ananias is another example of how this terminology in Luke is being used. Ananias departed and entered the house. Ananias is going looking for Paul, who is Saul, that God has saved. And laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke likes these terms. He likes to highlight them. He likes to bring them up. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Now, Paul's already a believer. Paul's met Jesus. Jesus did the evangelism on the road to Damascus. So Paul's already come to Christ. But at another time, God is going to send Ananias to come and lay his hands on him. And when he has his hands laid on him, he's going to be filled with the Spirit. Something different than salvation is happening in this moment. Through the laying on of hands from Ananias. And it's going to play out in Paul's life in incredible ways. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 
says, while Peter was still saying these things, right? So Peter's now preaching in the household of Cornelius. The Holy Spirit fell on, fell on, right? Get the image that's presented here. All who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So there is this poured out, filling dimension. One chapter later, Peter's going to explain this to the higher ups because he's gone to the Gentiles and preached the gospel to them. And when he does, he's going to identify this with the baptism in the Spirit. And what's interesting in, in this setting is, different than Ananias who laid hands, Peter was still speaking when he was interrupted by the Holy Spirit. So it's just like, I mean, if, if right now, just the Holy Spirit just fell on you in a meeting and just imparted something to you right now. I'm not even done yet. Right, we'll get to the end. But no, Holy Spirit took something, fell on you right now. That's what happened in Cornelius' house. Right. Can I say that's a category that I think the church has overlooked, ignored, and not valued. So we've almost been taught, and, and dudes like me are the guys who are guilty of creating this. We've almost been taught like, okay, it's official. Now's the time to respond. Eric, could you come help us all respond? And then Eric's going to come up and we're going to go, oh, okay, it's time to receive something now. Uh, the Holy Spirit just showed up. No hands laid. Right, so this is where we need to be careful what we format and what we don't format when we, we seek to interact with God. But then a little bit later, a description that Luke gives in his Acts chapter 19 verse 5. Remember Paul here is interacting with the, the disciples in Ephesus. And there's a lot there, but we won't go through the whole story. But after he has clarified some things with them, and it says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they go find some water, they baptize these guys. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, so some, somewhere after baptism here, he's going to have another exchange with them where he lays his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So Luke, again, same terminology, similar experiences and being highlighted over and over and over again by him. Graham 12, 3 says, these three occasions... He's referring to Luke 3, Acts 1, and Acts 11. Are the only times Luke uses the phrase baptism in the spirit. Though one he took to be interchangeable with the idea of the spirit coming upon, filling, falling on, being poured out on, or received by, or even are being given people. So that's how Luke uses this phraseology. He's got a way of using it that we should pay attention to. John Piper says, first Luke describes the first baptism of the Spirit as being filled. He uses the filling language in Acts 2.4. He says, wait for this baptism, Acts 1.4. And then when he describes it in 2.4, he says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. For him, these are overlapping realities, fullness and baptism. Then, throughout the book of Acts, the term filled with the Holy Spirit is a recurrent, repeated experience in the believer's life. Not just a one-time experience. And that's pretty important. Because if it's a recurring, repeatable thing, then that, that presents itself to me to pursue it in a particular way. 
I no longer treat it like a box that I'm supposed to check off. Right? You, you shouldn't feel like you should be justified over and over and over again. Right? That, that would be a misuse of the doctrine of justification. That God has included you and he has declared you accepted by him and forgiven. He's declared that. So there is this one-time moment that, where you should check to see is the box checked for me. But this is not presented that way. This is presented as something that is recurring and it could happen again and again and again. So that informs me. How, how do I make myself available to something that could happen again and again and again? Right, a little terminology notice here is a quick note. John chapter 1. Verse 33 says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, this is John the Baptist, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John makes a presentation of this baptism in the spirit and the spirit descending on Christ. That generates these two things together. Luke picks this up as well. Early on, he says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And then in verse 18 of chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And now we get another term associated with this, the anointing. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit for the ministry that he was called to. Yeah, I'm going to make a quick note here, and I don't want to chase this thought, but I'm going to borrow a thought from Sam Storms to chase it for a second. <clears throat> that, you know, I'm not, I don't say this is wrong, and it may even be right. Uh, but you watch Jesus come into his ministry, and some pick that up as a model for this is what it should look like for us as well. Right? The church goes through something like this. We go through something like this. And so there is a the thought that, Jesus came into this world, was born of the Holy Spirit, lived in the world, and then at some point, the Spirit comes upon him for ministry, and he's full of the Spirit now. All right, and I think that's an accurate description. But whether or not we can pick that up and accurately put it on ourselves as our story too, uh, that could have some baggage, right? Here's a good example. Sam Storms says... The argument, and I agree with Sam, as a matter of fact, if I could recommend a handful of people in the body of Christ who we would be very like-minded with, Sam Storms would be one of them. The argument based on Jesus' experience goes as follows. Jesus is conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, an event said to correspond with our regeneration. All right, so we're connecting these two things together. Approximately 30 years later, Jesus is anointed with power of the Spirit for public ministry. This event is interpreted as his, quote, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whereas I certainly believe that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism in the River Jordan, all for the purpose of empowering him for ministry, I do not believe this experience is a valid parallel or pattern for us when it comes to our baptism in the Spirit. The text does not say Jesus was baptized in the Spirit. It says he was anointed. Now, I agree with Sam on this topic but what Sam did there right now I just want I just want to highlight something for a second this has become a debate of terminologies in the body of Christ and so some people are going to say well you know Keith you haven't even mentioned yet you know 
does it say baptize in the Holy Spirit or baptize with the Holy Spirit? And who is the baptizer? Right? And you know, if you've been in the Pentecostal charismatic world, those are debatable terms. And then there's the filling with the Spirit. Well, well, the filling with the Spirit, that's different than the baptism in the Spirit. And you've got some people who are arguing that, etc. And, and I get some of the technicalities of these arguments. But even in this, I'm with Sam. Don't, don't, use, don't force the use of the Bible in ways that the Bible doesn't make clear. Because what it does, Charismatics and Pentecostals need to hear this. What it does is it makes people lose your argument. Because they recognize you're using the Bible in a way the Bible doesn't say to use it that way. So when you turn around and say, hey, when the Spirit came upon, that was Jesus being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was. But the Bible doesn't come out and say that. So the Bible comes out and says he was anointed with the Spirit. All right, can we just, let's just take all the vocabulary words and set them in a box over here just for a second. Here is what we clearly see in the Bible. There is a work of the Spirit that brings us into a relationship with God that indwells in us. And then, Luke especially highlights this, but this would be true of Jesus' ministry as well. There is an empowering thing that happens to people. Call it anointing, call it filling, call it baptism. Whatever whatever word in the box describes it, can we at least agree on something? The Holy Spirit comes to our life to impart power. And he also comes for us to be born again and to dwell in us. And some of the dimensions and expressions of that look quite differently. When Luke picks up this terminology of power, it is almost always an outward expression. So don't make the mistake, again, of going outside the Bible. Does that mean that everybody who has the Spirit looks like one of Luke's descriptions? No. Luke's not trying to teach everything in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. Paul's teaching on the Holy Spirit counts. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. So if you just take Luke, by you might be tempted to think, well, uh... Unless you speak in tongues and prophesy, I don't even know if you're saved. Right? That's where you could go with Luke. And by the way, there are some denominations who went exactly there with Luke. But that would be inaccurate. There are lots of things the Holy Spirit does that doesn't look like Luke's description. That are valuable, that, that you can't be a Christian without, that are affecting you every day of your life. But Luke is bringing a unique description. That we don't want to jettison it and we don't want to ignore it. So here's my doctrinal conclusion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that Paul and Luke were not having the same conversation when they picked up this phrase. The context for Paul was different than the context for Luke. The purpose and argument for Paul was different than the purpose and argument for Luke. These are not problematic presentations, just in the same way that if your salvation explanation is a justification description versus somebody else who's a born-again experience. You're not wrong. The other person doesn't need to be corrected by you. You're seeing the same thing from more than one facet. So that's exactly what we're seeing here, right? So John Piper says this better than I can, plus he carries a little more weight than I carry. He says, what I'm going to suggest... 
is that the way Paul uses the phrase in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and the way Luke uses the phrase of Jesus' report by Luke in Acts 1, 5, are not the same. That's my basic premise, which would avoid a lot of confusion if people bought this. So you can check it out for yourself. This means that when we ask, what does the phrase baptism in or baptism with the Holy Spirit mean? We have to ask, are you talking about what Paul's use or Luke's use as he quotes Jesus? They're not contradictory. I'm not arguing that there's any conflict. I'm saying that they use the same words in different ways. I think virtually everyone agrees that Paul's understanding here of baptism, right, in 1 Corinthians 12, by the Spirit, is the act by which the Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ and his body, the church. In other words, it's conversion. It's becoming a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be moved upon by the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are brought to faith and united to Jesus. Here's what Jesus says as Luke quotes him. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I don't think Jesus means that his disciples will be converted from unbelief to belief in this baptism that they're supposed to wait for in Jerusalem. I think Luke sees the apostles as genuine born-again believers before this promised baptism happens to them. These are not unregenerate disciples waiting to be born again by the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Luke is trying to draw our attention to the empowerment of the Spirit, to the New Testament version of how God dwells in and expresses himself in people. That's Luke's agenda. It's a little different than Paul's agenda. So, whereas Paul was speaking of inclusion, Luke is describing an event of endowment of power. More thought from John Piper. He says, it is right, I think... To ask for a fresh baptism. That's the language of the Puritans. That's the language of Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's my language again and again. As I approach the pulpit and seek to preach, I say, oh God, I need a fresh baptism. I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh filling. I need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think that posture, if I could argue anything is what's most important. What I am going to need in my life is going to take something beyond me that has got to come to me by the Holy Spirit. Now, all over this discussion, this argument, maybe some here are like, well, wait, Keith, I just believe you get all that you're going to get when you come into Christ. You get the Spirit, man. You got it all. You got it all. Um... On the one hand, I agree with you. On the one hand. But my concern would be, that's not a helpful idea for you to own if it diminishes your pursuit. If that's what that revelation does for you, is it diminishes your pursuit. Because I got everything. And it it makes you lean back in your chair. Uh, Whatever you think, that's not helping you. Because now you don't sound like the New Testament. I have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. 
And the Bible's aware of that. Paul is aware of that when he says pursue earnestly. When the Bible calls on us to strive, when it calls on us for activity, the Bible's not ignorant of that. It knows that. So whether you're more comfortable, I'll give you that. You can choose either one. Okay, so the spirit now dwells in me. I need, right, for that spirit to spring up a well inside my soul. You guys who know that song, right? I need, I'm, I'm approaching life. I'm approaching a moment. I'm aware of ministry. I'm aware of the kingdom needing to be advanced in some way. I need that well to spring up within my soul, God. Okay, you want to pray it that way? Pray it that way. Or if you'd prefer to use other language that's in the New Testament, God, pour out your spirit on me. God, pour it out. Now that makes it sound like you're looking upward, not inward. And you're waiting for something to come on you. I I just made a biblical argument for that. That's an appropriate posture. But, but, But Keith, you have the Holy Spirit. Listen, I don't want to get lost in the details. I have a need for the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. If I cry out to God and it comes this way, or if it comes this way and God spigots it through the back door in the spirit through me, but it came from up there, so it is an outpouring. I looked upward and he came inward. If I can't draw this out on paper, so what? I need the spirit at an unusual level in many things that we're going to be called to do. So I think the correct posture is to be looking outside of natural, familiar, historic even things that I've experienced to the right now activity of the Holy Spirit in my life. Piper goes on and says, I think the language is, is various in the book of Acts. Eric, you can come back up here. For these kinds of things which are not continuous. You have Paul on Cyprus. He's about to speak. Says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he has an extraordinary power to deal with the magician there on the island. Right? You go back and read that account. It's kind of a fun account. He's full of the Spirit. And then he discerns, you son of the devil. You. I mean, he gets pretty ugly with the guy. So, that, you know, so don't ever think the Holy Spirit filling you doesn't make you ugly sometimes. He's very belligerent toward this magician. And then he pronounces a curse on them. He puts a curse on them and the guy's not going to be able to see. So, you know, if you're looking to blind somebody, you might want to be filled with the Spirit to do that. (laughs) That's the kind of thing that I think Jesus was saying. I want you to know this experience as you head out to evangelize the world. Throughout the book of Acts, the term filled with the Spirit is a recurrent, repeated experience in the believer's life. Not just a one-time experience. All right, I like this phrase. One more quote for you from Sinclair Ferguson. Now, if you guys are familiar with Sinclair Ferguson, as a matter of fact, if you're not familiar with him, you need to be familiar with him. He's a tremendous, tremendous expositor of God's word. But as far as I know, he's a cessationist. But he's going to say something here. That, so if you're, if you're like, uh, Keith, I'm not, in, I'm not in that camp. I love coming to church here, but I'm not in that camp. Uh, okay, uh, Sinclair is my pal right now, and he's not in that camp either but what he's going to say here I think everybody needs to make sure they move toward it he says but there is a further aspect of Pentecost Jesus promised his disciples that the coming of the spirit would bring power 
as a consequence of which they would be his witnesses throughout the earth. Luke Acts speaks of being filled with or being full of the Spirit as an ongoing condition. So there is a dimension in which the Spirit fills us in a way that just continues to travel with us as we do life. But also describes particular occasions when individuals appear to experience distinct fillings. The latter occasions refer to a, I like his phrase, special influx of ability and power in the service of the kingdom. A special influx. This aspect of the Spirit's work seems, therefore, to be repeatable. So this is how I want to pray for us today. And just for the sake of time, there would be many examples. I thought, maybe some good examples of this. I'm going to give you an example that is accessible to everybody here. You don't have to be on a missions trip. You don't have to be trying to have a a word of knowledge, raise somebody from a dead at a funeral. Um, This is just, everybody should be experiencing this in this category. Did Did you know you could be filled with the Holy Spirit in your prayer closet for the sake of praying? How many of you guys have had that experience in your life? All right, I, I've, I always have the Spirit. I always have the Spirit. I'm a believer. I always have the Spirit. And there are many times that I can be in a prayer closet and um, I, I'm just doing what I do. And, you know, I go before God in prayer. And the experiential level of that varies. Sometimes it's just, a, it's just there. It's just, you know, we're having an exchange, but nothing extraordinary sticks out. Um, sometimes you feel like there's just a total disconnect in that moment. It's like, uh, I'm here, but I think God missed his appointment. <laughs> um, and there are moments, and I don't, I don't want to treat this like every other day moments. Because that doesn't do a service to those of you pursuing things of the Spirit. When speakers stand up here and describe rare events like their everyday phenomena, that does not serve the church. There are moments for me where it's as though prayer for me is getting in my little sailboat and hoisting the sail. And for the most part, often it just feels like the water lapping against the bottom of the boat. And it's moving. We're moving. We're praying. There's a little breeze out here today. I sense something. And then there are moments when suddenly, and something comes into my heart that feels like rivers of living water. It feels like get out of the way. It feels like, Keith, can you find words fast enough? Can you say this with any more emotion and ownership? It just feels different. I think that is, an, to use Sinclair Ferguson's, a special influx of ability and power. Now, what I think the Bible makes this case, whatever you came here believing the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, I think the case of the scripture is every one of us are on a mission. And that was, that was Luke's concern. Luke's concern was the mission. Luke doesn't highlight these things because you're going to need to overcome your personality. And you're going to need to be transformed from being uh, sinful in this category to being holy in this category. Luke's not going there in most of these settings. 
That's for the work of the Spirit in a different way. This is for mission. You will receive power to be my witnesses, to advance the kingdom, to stand in the face of darkness, to engage people's lives that are broken and need to be broken into by the power of God. You're going to receive power for that. I'm sorry, but I think that's just a different thing to pursue. Then, Holy Spirit, can you help me not curse or be angry as much? Now, does that not take power? Oh, yeah, it takes power. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of us who recognize, oh, I think that takes more power. That's, that's like close to raising the dead for me, power. Um, <laughs> but what Luke presents to us, let's just go with what God gave Luke to be inspired to present, was an event of endowments that would lead us into these settings. Now, here's what, I, here's what I'm going to do differently this morning for us. I don't think you need to come up here for that to happen. Although that's not a problem if you do. And it's not wrong for churches to call people forward for prayer. But in Cornelius' household, nobody needed to get up out of their chair. I'd like to install some faith for that. I'd like for you to be sitting in every meeting you're ever in, kind of looking up every once in a while. What's about to fall on me? (laughs) What's the Holy Spirit about to do right now? Listen, I I know I preach for about an hour typically. Uh, You have total permission. At minute number 15... God has made his point with you and the Holy Spirit falls on you. You don't have to listen to the rest of the message. (laughs) That could be the Spirit for you. And somebody else is going to get minute 38. And the Spirit shows up and falls and drops something in on you. All right, so you can sit where you are. We can pray for you and lay hands on you. One of the things that I think is the weirdest thing the church has done, it has turned the filling of the Spirit and the baptism in the Spirit into an, an altar event. Like, Like, I don't think you're going to need this experience to return safely to your seat. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh, I experienced God here. And we hope you do. But you you know where you're going to need to be filled with the Spirit? When the magician shows up in your world and you need to pronounce a curse on the thing. Right? And that probably isn't going to happen right here. So I I think when we come forward, the greatest thing that we're doing is is we're, we're, we're taking a posture of availability. We're coming and saying, God, I'm I'm available. And I want everything that you have. And I want nothing standing in the way. And I think that's what filling of the Spirit is. It's everything else out of the way so the Spirit can completely have access and can fill us without little pieces where we're unwilling or protecting something or out of the will of God in our lives. We're coming and saying, God, none of that stuff. I'm totally available to what you have. Now, he may influx with great power on Tuesday on Thursday night in your prayer closet in a small group meeting as a person that you just got on the phone with the power of God may come upon you in that moment I think what we're doing here quite often is just making ourselves available because you're probably not going to do a lot with what happens to you right here right you're not going to stand up and preach a message I mean you're going to receive something but this is endowment for mission Right, so I think you can receive that where you are. I think you can come forward and have us lay hands on you. And sometimes that's the, the way we should do that. Um, but I'm just going to linger for a moment and just wait on God. And for you to kind of turn heavenward. And to posture yourself to receive. To be able to look in honestly into the scriptures and see an empowerment that God intends for believers. To experience and to walk in. And to figure out is there something in the way of that 
Is there fear that's in the way? Is there sin that's in the way? Is there an unwillingness in the way? Is there other priorities in the way? Whatever your situation may be, but just to remove those things and to stand in the presence of God saying, God, here, Lord, open access. Nothing off limits, nothing out of bounds for you. Whatever you want to do in these areas of my life, I'm, I'm totally open. I want you to fill me. I want to be available for fillings over and over and over again in my life. Now, I would like to pray for a particular group of people today. We've been talking a lot and the elders, we've been meeting and discussing our, our, our desire to see the church grow in its ministry to each other in these areas. And one of the ways that we want to do that is to equip a prayer team. So some of you guys have come to some of the meetings that we've done that have intended to, to highlight the prayer team, to invite you to be a part. You get regular emails from Ronald and, and assignments, etc. Uh, so you would already know, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the prayer team. Um, maybe you did do that and you didn't realize you were part of the prayer team. That could be you. Or maybe you'd like to be part of the prayer team and didn't know that was an opportunity. So if you're in any of those categories and you want to be a part of the prayer team or you are a part of the prayer team, could I just ask you guys to come out? I want us to pray for you uniquely this morning. And I just want the Holy Spirit to just do whatever he wants to do in all of us this morning. So you can sit. You don't have to stand. But if you're on the prayer team, you do need to stand because we want you to come forward. And I want to invite elders and pastors come up and just join with praying for these guys. Here's, here's where I would encourage you, and I really just want to encourage you to be open to God right now, but I just want you to be aware that there is a group of people like this that exist in our church, that when you're submitting prayer requests or you're writing down your needs, that, that these are the folks that are picking these things up, praying for you. Um, and, and in a strange way, I want you to be aware that the prayer team participates in something going on behind the scenes of your life. Have you ever thought that somebody in this group is going to be praying the prayer that gives you the favor and the success in your life on Tuesday in that meeting that you have. In that broken relationship that's about to go south, but suddenly someone's heart is going to become open to not running away from you in a relationship. Have you ever thought that somebody here asked for wind in their sails? They saw your prayer request, or maybe they didn't see it at all, but God filled them with the Spirit and said, pray for this person this way. And they began to pray. And your world is about to be changed because of that. This is not an insignificant group in the church. You don't see them a lot. They're behind the scenes. But they're doing things that are moving heaven and earth on our behalf. So not a light calling. And what we want to pray for each of them to receive grace from God. Let's just wait for a moment. God, help us just to listen right now. Help us to be convinced of being in a place where the posture of our life is openness. And we're open for you to endue us power and abilities, boldness and insights and revelations and words and courage and tenacity 
things that we will need that are beyond us. But there is a whole dimension of our Christian life that needs the active, expressive presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you convince us this morning to need you all over again? To need you, God, all over again. God, I appreciate John Piper asking for a fresh baptism to preach. But Lord, most of the people here aren't going to be preaching. But they still need a fresh baptism and filling and empowerment for what you have called them to. They're going to be engaging darkness. They're going to be relating to the spiritually dead. They're going to encounter arguments that have been raised up against the knowledge of God by powers and principalities. We're going to need more than what we've got apart from you manifesting your life, God. We need your power to come upon us, to fill us, to baptize us, to anoint us, to advance your kingdom in this day. Lord, for moms, wives, to advance the kingdom through every life that they touch, from their little children to their neighbors, to someone they work with. God, we need husbands to be full of the Spirit, to lead their families with wind in their sails, with a sense of power coming upon them that makes them speak, it makes them bold, it makes them courageous, it fills them with faith. Lord, there be plenty men and women here who are more full of discouragement and fear than they are full of the Spirit. Lord, it's just a fact. You promise something different. You will receive something when this filling and baptism happens. So Lord, we're here as a church this morning. God, we're just lifting our lives to you. Lifting our hearts in an open way to you. God, we're just here to, to be available, Lord. To be filled. If it's right now, if it's tomorrow morning, if it's tonight as I pray, if it's as I care for somebody, Lord, in whatever setting, God, in the moment, you know I need your spirit to come upon me, to be poured out on me. Lord, this is our posture. We're open. Be sensitive right now. I think God's just speaking to some people right now. God, maybe doing a little survey of the, the landscape of your life. And he may be bringing to mind things that are in the way. Maybe your life is filled with other priorities. And God is saying, God, you need to move some of this stuff. I need room so that I can fill that space. Right now it's occupied. I want to fill it. Some here who have made too much room for sin to operate Paul said do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit so in other words something else can occupy the space that the spirit fills don't let it don't let drunkenness don't let anger don't let manipulation and control take up a space that the Holy Spirit wants to fill this morning God's 
doing a garage sale. He wants more space to fill. want you guys just we're going to pray for this group right here i want all of you to join me in praying for this group here and i but i want you to not listen to me i want you to i want you to sense the wind of god blowing on your sails here and i just want you to catch the phrases and words that god's going to put in your heart and i want you to begin to pray those things over this group here just sense from god this is a group that's going before us in prayer this is a group that's surrounding us in prayer This is a group that's stirring up heaven on our behalf. This is a group that is holding back forces of darkness on our behalf. So let the Lord fill you with words to pray before his throne. Fill you with faith to believe that such people can find time and ability and insight to pray in effective kingdom moving ways. God, that's what we pray for this group. Thank you that you are the God who calls and the Holy Spirit distributes to gifts individually as he will. So Lord, thank you that the ability to pray is not dependent upon these individuals, but it's dependent upon what you give to them. Your spirit, your gifts, your anointing on their lives. Lord, they have sensed your call to pray for the kingdom to come. They're praying for us. They're praying for pastors and small group leaders and children's ministry leaders. They're praying for people who will come to this church in months and days ahead. For over the next decade, God, they are going before us. God, we pray for them. We pray for this anointing of the Holy Spirit that causes discernment to come, that causes categories that they're praying into to come to life in vivid color, that causes dreams and visions to take place so that they know what to pray about in unique, particular, unusual ways. God, we pray for words of prophecy to flood these guys. God, that they would be used by you to bring revelation in moments where somebody here needs an awareness of God's nearness. And they come and they bring it. They describe the details of that person's life in such a way that that person knows God, knows what's going on with me. God, would you anoint these guys? Would they know what it is? To speak like Luke speaks about the filling of the Spirit and the coming upon of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit. God, we need you in these folks' lives. We need their prayers. God, we need them to be sensitive to your Spirit saying, set aside some time with me today. Today, set aside some time with me. Come and meet with me. So God, we called them out in the same way that laying on hands was putting something. God, we're putting something on each one of these folks this morning. We need them, Lord. And they need you, Holy Spirit, to do what they're seeking to do. So God, would you make their encounter with you like never before? God, I pray for for Sunday night and Monday night of this week and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. The guys that are on different nights and days praying, God, that the wind would come into their sails. Lord, they would know what it is to be caught up in the Spirit, as the Scriptures say, and to pray out of an anointing and power for your kingdom to come. God, I pray this group 
would be formed and fashioned for the coming decade. God, we're on the verge of the next 10 years. God, I pray this group will be the most effective aspect of this church in the next 10 years. What they do, what they pray, how they relate to bringing your kingdom among us, Lord. May it shape the next decade for us. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul opening this topic to us today. We, Lord, in turn, open our hearts and our lives, Holy Spirit, to you. Come, fill us for your glory and for your kingdom to come among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.